0: welcome to the thirst for more podcast i'm your host brandon smitley where we sit down and talk with strength coaches personal trainers nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength conditioning field to help athletes parents coaches small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success either in the weight room on the field or on the platform enjoy today's episode On episode 10 of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with Coach Chris Bartell, co-founder and owner of Elite Athlete Development. I've known Chris for a number of years, mainly from our powerlifting circles, but he's managed to do some great things with athletes, and he's really known for working with the baseball population, specifically uh, the high school kids looking to go to the college level, and he's helped take a lot of high school kids and get them to that college level. Um, We're talking some big-time programs. Texas, TCU, um, some Pac-10 schools. So Chris has definitely got his uh, background kind of covered in terms of working with athletes. Um, he also is the head strength and conditioning coach at Mount Baker High School in Deming, Washington. And we kind of talk about how he got into that role and how he's managed to work with athletes and his, his whole kind of career in terms of strength and conditioning, how he's kind of been different places. And he's, he's put together this really good system to just... It just churns out athletes. It's, it's really, really good. Um, we implement a very similar thing at Thirst with our athletes, how we have certain progression and regression models that we use, uh, regardless of athlete and sport. But we kind of talk about that and you know, how he's used that to create some of these really good athletes. And just like any good coach, he's continuing to work with these kids, even in the offseason. And with the recording of this, when it happened during COVID, um, we also kind of talk about that as well. But he also just helps the average adult. Between 35 and 50, looking to lose weight, feel better, improve their lifestyle, and you know have more empowerment and, and, and be better people through a better, healthier living lifestyle. He's done this for over a decade, so he's definitely got his time and his, his resources pooled together to get everything the way he wants it. At the high school level, the semi-private level, um, and even working with people online. So, and he's also uh, got kids. So he he kind of really gets everything, and I, I kind of relate with him rather well in terms of how we do things and how we kind of have this high standard we hold our athletes to and that we don't really try to break on that and that we understand that the weight room is a great place for youth athletes and kids to become young adults and empower them to do great things. Whether they happen to go on and play collegiate sports or not, we understand that we're just trying to create better people through the weight room and i'm happy to call chris a friend even though we don't even really get to see each other a lot because he's over on the west coast but this was a really great conversation i think with your coach a parent um you know just the average person listening to this i think there's things you can take away and apply to your training or your life or your coaching style so this is chris bartell enjoy the episode Hey, Coach. This is Brandon. How you doing, man?
1: Good. How are you? I'm doing
0: all right. You hanging out right in there in Washington?
1: Oh, yeah. We uh, we actually have blue sky and sunshine today, creeping up towards the 70s. So it's a beautiful May day outside. And then uh, after this, going to go for a little 40-pound uh, weighted vest ruck through the neighborhood with the dog and get, get my uh, GPP in for the day.
0: All right. Um, so I know you've kind of had your hands in a little bit of everything from – um, obviously running gyms, training people online, high school strength and conditioning coach, you know, you've, you've kind of got it got it all in terms of having the athletic development aspect down. And I, I think the first time we met was one of the Arnolds. I can't even remember which one it was. You were still competing at the time. And mm-hmm. I think, I think I was on like the raw day, if I, if I remember correctly, that's when they actually had it separated. Um, yep. So you know, that, that's been a while. Um, it's kind of weird to see how both of us have, have kind of changed from being more of hardcore powerlifters to more of coaches. That's a really good transformation, I guess, for everybody, kind of talk about how you decided to get into strength and conditioning, especially at the high school level. It's obviously getting a little bit more popular now, um, but it's definitely a different waters than the collegiate aspect as a whole. So kind of just give everybody insight of how you got into strength and conditioning coaching.
1: Um, well, I, 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 kind of fell into it really, um, you know, a little of my background is before I I got into the the strength and conditioning realm. I was in the financial services industry, and I was uh, working for Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor. And I had just started, and then that was when the stock market crashed in two thousand eight. And I got I was one of thirty thousand people that Merrill Lynch laid off. So. Um, I didn't have a job and at the time I was working with uh, T Nation and Christian Thibodeau on the physique clinic and I was in the gym just all the time and if I wasn't in the gym I was surfing but I was in the gym so much that the gym owner a guy named Peter Park he was just like dude you're here all the time like why don't you just come learn under me Uh, I'll teach you the ropes and we'll, we'll turn you loose and at the time Um, you know, Peter was most known for training. He was Lance Armstrong's, um, bike and conditioning coach. And he was also the strength and conditioning coach for about half of the LA Lakers. And so he was a huge influence on me when I first started. Um, but how I got into the high school realm is I kind of did it backwards. I ended up starting with college guys first and ended up transitioning to high school um, just by reputation and so um, I got hooked up with the college guys because I met a scout for the New York Yankees who ran a summer program and he's like I want to send some baseball guys that your way and I was like you know that that's great let's do it and you know that first summer I had I had five guys I had three from the University of Texas one from San Diego and one from Cal Berkeley And then the next year I had 29 guys over six different conferences. And it was, and that's when I had my first gym Bayside barbell. And so the college program was blowing up. And um, then a couple of high school parents heard about it through the grapevine. And they're like, Hey, we want us, you know, you're training all these guys, college guys, you know, we want you to train our son. And, you know, you know, how, um, high school, Parents work, you know, it's all about keeping up with the Joneses. So you get one parent and you do good things, and word spreads like wildflower. And then, you know, the next thing you know, I had like 20, 25 high school kids. And uh, I was the uh, kind of the preeminent high school strength coach in Santa Barbara uh, at the time when I was doing that. And then, um, you know, uh, life kind of changed, and I moved back to Washington and uh, I sent out a bunch of letters to all the different high schools asking just to volunteer and I got a bunch of no's and then I got one yes. And they're like, we don't want you to volunteer. We want to pay you. And uh, that was Mount Baker high school where I'm now the head strength and conditioning coach for all the sports. And uh, I just haven't left.
0: (laughs) That's cool. That's really good. Um, That is unique that you kind of went the reverse action. Um, I I definitely know from following that you've obviously had the big uh, baseball thing in terms of thirst I would say that we've kind of now started getting to the softball baseball a little bit now that we're kind of getting ready to start year year two it took us a little bit of time to kind of get into that uh, I, I'm sure you know working with baseball as much as we had and I, it's something I really want to talk about the baseball side of things
1: for mm-hmm. sure
0: um, that most sport coaches see conditioning as just running poles or you yep. know running like a mile or two and not so much weights or you know maybe just a in terms of weights for the shoulders, it's ERIR, and you know maybe maybe some squats. Some people are really heavy on on the bench press. I guess it kind of depends on where you're at, but at least from what I've seen, it's not it's not as valued as much as it could be. And um, so you've had really good success with that. Go ahead and talk about um, for let's say at least, let's start with the high school aspect of it. From a high school baseball, and we'll go ahead and lump softball in as well. There's some very similar. Uh, training aspect there's a little bit differences but for the most part it's similar in terms of what you're going to train with the uh, energy system development and the the power and the rotation what is when you're laying out your training for these uh, kids what are you trying to look at from like a needs analysis what are your kind of go-to either exercises and setups do you have any particular programming preferences that you like, whether that be, uh, you know, like five through one or all undulating or conjugate or anything like that?
1: Well, that's a fantastic question. The, the way that I look at all athletes is I, I don't, I don't lump them into sport specific. I lump everybody into athlete specific. So when I, when I see a kid, I don't really care what sport they play. Um, the program that I have is pretty much, designed for any athlete, but I can customize the warm-up and the accessories based on that athlete and their sport. So that's kind of where I get a little funky with it. For the most part, I treat baseball and softball players exactly the same. Um, you know, once they go through their movement assessment, then I can kind of break it down. But the only difference of the way that I see it between baseball and softball is arm care and, and stuff for pitchers, just because the release point is so much different. You know, with baseball players, we got to focus more on elbow, I think elbow first, then shoulder health. Um, but with softball, because you don't get that whip with the overhead throwing motion, it's more shoulder dominant first, especially that anterior shoulder, just by how they come through with such velocity, um, that bicep tendon just always seems to just get crushed and super inflamed. Um, so really that's the main difference that I see it from a programming standpoint. Um, but I run, uh, my, my program is based on four different levels and it's all, it's all structured around the movement quality and certain strength standards, um, to, to level up. So basically we start everybody off with basic body weight movements and a goblet squat challenge, um, and some kettlebell stuff. And then if they can hit the strength standards, then they get to earn more barbell responsibility. Um, when it comes to the overhead throwing athletes, I'm kind of transitioning more to a three to one pull to push ratio. When before I was more like a a two to one, um, but I found that uh, doing more um, more time under tension type stuff for the shoulders and the upper back, um, and then pairing that with a heavy compound pull exercise, you know, I, I've had really great success adding you know, anywhere from one to four miles an hour on a fastball in about six weeks, um, just by changing that to a three to one from two to one. But, um, I always start everybody off with a five, three, one for the main strength stuff. Um, after five, three, one, once they can progress from that, we do two cycles and each cycle is a three week load and a one week deload. So on the ninth week, um, We'll transition to more volume-based, and we'll run EDT-style programming for eight weeks. And then I always finish with, a, with a, what I call a tri-conjugate. So I'll run a, a conjugate-style program, but I'll make it all triphasic based. based okay. So we'll run, we'll run three-weeks eccentric, three-week ISO, three-week concentric, and then we usually test right after that. And then we'll start the whole thing all over again since we have updated numbers. And then we can go back to the 531 template for the main lifts, and uh, and then just change the accessories all the way through.
0: Yeah, I I, I know so, that for some of the baseball players we get when we were talking to them, the, the one one bit, the very first baseball player we got just from the time that we worked with them within less than six months, his dad texted me and added, said that he added six, almost seven miles an hour onto his fastball. Um, in, in that time, and uh, I, I was really impressed by that because I'll be honest, from a one-on-one, slash semi private, I had not had a baseball player of that caliber. He, he should be a Division One athlete without question, based upon his his play and his numbers. Um, and unfortunately, this year we didn't get to see him play at the high school level, which really stinks. We were really excited for that, but uh, whenever we we did his assessment, I I kind of asked him and I said, you know, don't take this bad, but like I just want you to take your shirt off. And I just yep. want to watch you do some of these things without your shirt on. So I don't want to kind of see, you know, what's, what's your scapular doing? What's your, what's your back musculature look like? Because, you know, based upon what you throw, I think I know what your weak point is, but I want to, I want to take a picture um, of your back. And then six months later we'll re will reevaluate after we've got that done. And the, the changes were astronomical. And even just the two weeks of training, two times a week of training, you know, nothing crazy. And like you said, the, the pulling ratio it's pretty big i don't really sometimes i sit down and try to calculate it but um i just make sure that anytime we do like rotational throws we superset it with face pulls and pull aparts and iytws just to maximize that downtime from the power too many i'm sure you know too many kids with power exercises try to cut that rest time short you know we got to we got to talk about how valuable that rest period is um but then also like you said chest supported rows and and um, we even used machine rows like When we were getting close to in season We started using use a little bit more machines To save his shoulder stability yeah. aspect of it As, as his throwing velocity and, and pitch counts went up As he was getting ready for preseason Which, we said, didn't happen, unfortunately um, And I, th- I think they started to realize How important And that's a hard thing, I guess, to, to talk to parents about As I'm sure you know That everyone sees the throwing And this is the number one question I think I've gotten in baseball And, and I want to hear what you have to say about it I get parents saying, you know, everything I hear says my kids should be binging to throw harder. And as we know, that's not necessarily true. Uh, the the mechanics of throwing obviously does involve the pec, but obviously the lat is very important. So I guess go ahead and talk about that a little bit. The bench press, how you use that and the pressing patterns that you use choose to use. You've already talked about the ratio and then also um, how you go about training the lats you know, how much vertical pulling are you doing Um, and and, and some of that nature as well to kind of disprove that myth, so to speak, that you don't have to bench press all the time. And maybe that may not even be a beneficial thing from a shoulder health standpoint for the athlete long-term.
1: You know, I've had that question a couple of times and my answer always kind of differs based on the parent, but it usually says something like, you know, expecting your kid to bench 300 pounds is like biting into an apple expecting a t-bone steak you know there it's it's i don't really see a big correlation between the two because when you throw you have free motion of the scapula to come around the rib cage to elevate to depress and and basically support the shoulder and throwing whereas when you're benching you know as you know from our powerlifting background we're taught to pack those suckers down do not let those things move at all so if it's, the, the, it's just two polar opposites in my view. And I used to make my guys bench a lot when I first started with the college guys. I was like, no, we're going to bench because we need upper body strength. And, you know, I had these D1 All-Americans coming in, and, and they could barely bench 135. Um, but then I started doing more, listening to more Eric Cressy stuff about shoulder health and scapular movement. And I was just like, no, let's transition away from the bench and let's do more push-up variations, loaded push-up variations, because at least that way you have free motion of the scapula. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden, not are we building upper body push strength, but when we teach them the right way to engage their lats, now all of a sudden you still get that free range motion around the rib cage of the scapula. You're building so much good lat strength and rotator cuff strength in there that I think you get more bang from your buck from a basic movement, just like a pushup. Mm-hmm. And so I transitioned, you know, I, if, if people go through my Instagram feed, you go back a couple of years, the last time I had a big group, you know, I was having, I had a kid from Vanderbilt who was, you know, repping a hundred push-ups, you know, sets of six to eight with 180 pounds worth of chains you know, and you know, I had a pitcher from Arkansas who, who's now in, in the, the minor leagues and, and he had the gym all time record. He had like two hundred pounds of chains for five reps on a push ups with it on we were going blast trap. And so it's just like, Oh, okay, now I'm starting to see the correlation here, you know, between push ups, upper body strength, but also pitching velocity at the same time. Um <coughs> So, so that I kind of transitioned away from the bench. I'll do some bench stuff, but it's mostly floor press um, just to take away the stress of that anterior shoulder for pitchers coming down all the way to the chest. Um, but when it comes to the other part of that question, when you're talking about vertical pulling, um, when I had the college guys in the summer, we didn't do hardly any vertical pulling at all because they were still playing – the summer college leagues, they treat them just like they would if they were single-A baseball players. So they're playing five nights a week for eight to ten weeks over the summer after they come off a four-month season, after they come off winter training and fall ball. So there, there's, for the college guys, I, I didn't see a need to do a lot of vertical pulling just because they're overhead so much anyway. So we did a ton of horizontal rowing. But on the high school aspect, we do a ton of chin-up and chin-up variations, like tons and tons and tons and tons. Um, I don't think a week goes by in the high school program that I don't have some sort of chin-up variation uh, programmed in there. And uh, I'll still have a lot of horizontal pulling, but I'm not afraid to throw in a horizontal pull in the off-season especially in the, I call it the dark days of winter up here in Washington because, you know, it doesn't get light out till 10 a.m. and it's pitch black by 3.30. Um, so, but, um, you know, just varying the angles. I mean, there's, there's no set stone way to do it, you know, as you know, when it comes to programming, athletes, everybody's so different. You know, if I'm not getting results from somebody And we're doing a ton of horizontal. I'll throw in a lot of vertical and see how they do. And if they start getting results, then I know that, you know, they're better. uh, You know, they're getting more bang for the buck out of the vertical. So I'll leave it in there and then use the horizontal as more prehab, rehab, filler type stuff. uh, And and just kind of assess as I go from there. Um, You know, I I keep a a training journal of of my sessions. So, you know, I'll keep notes after I I go through a session and, and write down what I see and what I notice is working and not working. Um, so it's just so I just try to personalize as much as I can for large groups, even though, you know, when you're training 30 to 35 kids at a time, you can't really get too custom.
0: Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, that is another, you talked about the the movement of the scapula and that, that's probably the, the other thing that I think we talked to parents about a little bit is that, um, that as, as a baseball player and even a softball player that, that scapula and that shoulder is is essentially what makes you a phenomenal baseball player, especially if you're on the mound, absolutely. If you're on the mound, but even just, you know, the ability to throw the ball and keep that shoulder healthy long-term, especially in the baseball community where sports specialization teams tends to be on the higher end compared to some other sports um, where kids will start. I mean, I would say almost, at least what I can think of, I think back when I played sports, like, everyone I knew played baseball, at least at some point, everybody gave it a try. You know, it's America's pastime. It's one of the three most popular sports in America. Um, and and nowadays the, the, the ability to make it either, um, everyone has their sights on trying to make obviously a paycheck out of it at some point, hopefully. And there, there are more opportunities in baseball than there are in basketball. Um, but, um, that, that talking about the scapula and when parents are kind of like, Oh, well, I, I guess now that I think about it, you know, you're, you're, you're really right that that doesn't really um, make sense to necessarily bench press all the time. And I said, you know what, I'm not worried what your kid bench press. I'd be more impressed to see, you know, you said how, how heavy their push ups are or how many chin ups they can knock out or, yeah. or things like that. That's amazing to give me a better idea of probably their throwing velocity as a whole, from an upper body standpoint, in yeah. terms of lower body, training um talk about what you you do there i know you're still probably obviously big on the main the main movements um but one thing i th- at least whenever i'm talking with parents i try to talk about the the lateral aspect of baseball and how important that is, whether you're pushing off the mound or you're pushing off that back leg to put your hips through to hit the ball. Or, you know, if you're pushing off a, a base and you're having to steal, you got to be able to you know be in a good wide athletic stance usually um, to be able to steal a base. Or if you're in the outfield or in the infield and you're in that athletic position and you've got to be able to change direction from that wide stance, go ahead and talk about what you do from a, a lower body training perspective for
1: baseball and softball well i haven't really changed too much over the years on that one um everybody squats and everybody deadlifts i mean and with the baseball guys um i'll have them squat with a straight bar on their back if it's an off you know early off season so usually right after football season ends and those guys start playing basketball and they're in season especially the high school people I'll, i'll i'll have them Back squat, but once we start to get into the January, February, then I make all pitchers transition to the safety squat bar just to take the stress off the shoulders from from continually back squatting, but I use a nice balance of uh, bilateral and unilateral uh, lower body training. So really the only Yeah, really, the only bilateral stuff we do are squats and deadlifts. I do so much single leg work in in all planes um, Mm -hmm. because the thing with baseball is it's a rotational sport through the trunk, but it's also a rotational sport through the hip socket. So you have to train a 360-degree joint in 360 degrees. So we do tons of uh, lunge variations and all sorts of different angles Um, we'll do RDLs in different angles, different loading styles, contra load offset. I mean, we just do all sorts of stuff. Um, when I was in California, I used lateral sled drags and karaoke drags and stuff all the time because it could be January and it'd be 85 degrees outside. Um, but now up here in Washington, it's January. It's usually five degrees and snowing, which is still fun as hell when you make them take the sled outside. The kids get (laughs) amped to go do sled work out when it's snowing. But, um, It's just, it's not as, as, as fun as it is or it was in California, but, um, yeah, when it, when it comes to lower body stuff for baseball, my, my biggest thing that I look for is how, how well can they do a Cossack squat unassisted? Because that'll tell me a lot about their hips, both, you know, laterally on either side, their adductor, their hips, their ankle mobility, um, their core stability and all that stuff. Uh, And I think the Cossack squat is a great assessment tool, especially for pitchers, because one thing that I found with high school pitchers is one is a lack of leg strength prevents a lack of drive off the mound to come down towards home plate in a really aggressive manner. And it's usually because they're so tight in their hips that they can't lead well and open externally rotate with that lead hip, but then they don't have the strength to drive off the back one and get a nice long stride to come on down so um with the upper body strength if i can get them to open up that hip and really drive hard and come i always say come down the mound you got to come down the mound just that aspect if i can add an inch to two inches off their stride length coming down the mound now all of a sudden they're coming further with some more momentum and then the ball starts popping off their off their hand Um, years ago i worked with a, a pitcher He's in the Washington Nationals organization now, but he was at the University of Texas, and he was, he was good. He was 94 to 96, but he was looking to get to the next level. So I measured his stride length, and I just drew a line in the sand. I was like, I want you to get this. And we were doing a bullpen, and I was like, I don't care where the ball goes. Like, I don't care if you throw it at the catcher, if you're airmailing it into the parking lot. You need to get to that line. When he finally got comfortable coming down to that line, then we worked on his location, but then his velo jumped up to ninety eight, ninety nine, And all of a sudden, and that's all we did, was just open his legs up and get him to use his legs more efficiently. So, you know, with the high school level, especially because they're so just on their butt, you know what I mean? They sit in class all day. At least in college, you get to walk up. The college campuses are huge. You got to walk, you know, two miles just to go from class to class sometimes. In high school, you don't have to walk that far, and then you're sitting, and then they get home and they sit. So, we do a lot, a lot of stuff to open up those hips in, in a 360 range of motion.
0: That's really good. We, we have a hard time explaining that to some of our kids, how important it is that doing some of that, um, that soft tissue work on their, their adductors and their hips a little bit for how much they sit. And it's like, you know, some of this stuff, it, it's things to do. It, it, it can be repetitive, but if we can open up your, like you said, open up your hip socket a little bit and get you to be just a little bit more mobile and move a little bit more athletically so to speak um then you also see performance benefits from that as well and it's not the it's not the static stretching that's going to do it what you're doing well, in practice like that's that's not what we're talking about we need to try to make some permanent changes um to the tissue length as a whole and yeah. I, now that you think about it, when i think about most of our baseball players that we have worked with they usually come in with like you said tight hips tight adductors and then as you watch them either box squat or sumo deadlift and the, those hips that starting to open up from obviously not like training under load but you know mobilizing it and, and using the soft tissue work that gets them to move better and that could be also a part of the thing that could be aiding their performance i never really necessarily sat down and thought about that huge stride length when coming down the mound because most of the baseball players we have use at least at the ages that we are they do pitch to some degree they may not necessarily be the guy but they do see pitching time because they're mm-hmm. young enough. Um, so that's really good on the, um, with the, I was like, guy experienced with the college guys. What's the, when you're working with high school kids and then the college kids, how do you relate to the college? How do you talk to your high school kids and be like, Hey, here's what the college kids are generally able to do. Let's so say you don't necessarily set benchmarks for them. But you can obviously look at those kids. There's obviously a maturity difference, but you can obviously tell when you're seeing the junior, senior that's probably gonna have that division one either offer or playing time potential versus the kid that maybe is not gonna quite have it. What do you think from a training perspective is the is the big difference? Is it in general um strength? Is it size? Is it mobility? Is it power? Obviously there's a little bit of a mix of everything. Is there um I guess, necessarily like a, a, a metric that you like to see. Because I know I told one of our high school baseball players, I think he pulls in the threes on his sumo deadlifts for some fives. And I told him, and he's like, when are we going to stop deadlifting? And I said, in my opinion, until you've deadlifted 405, we can keep deadlifting for a while because I guarantee you, you can probably find anybody at the pro level or the very elite college level that's not able to do that you know that that general hip strength and lower body strength is there we need to get you as close as we can to that safely to bridge that gap so that overall general size and strength is not your limiting factor we don't want that to be your limiting factor because that's something that's part of our job to change is to to get you that aspect Mm -hmm. and i and i know i talk too i'm like you go look how big barry bonds and some of these these big power hitters are like go look how much mass those guys are carrying you know PEDs or not, um, what, how they're carrying that to be able to hit that ball and have that, that power?
1: Well, I mean, one of the things I look at, and this is going to sound really funny, but I, I always look at their butt. Like you can learn a lot about an athlete by whether they have, you know, good glutes, good glute tie-in at the hamstring, or whether they got a, a flat butt and flat back. Um, I've, I have yet to see a power hitter or a speed athlete be high-end that doesn't have a big butt. Yep. It, it's just, you know what I mean? And you use the, you use the Barry Bond example. So I, I grew up in Washington State, right? And and I think Ken Griffey Jr. is the greatest baseball player outside of Babe Ruth. Um, and you look at his glutes, and his glutes were just – I mean, seriously, like Kardashian probably modeled her butt after his because, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr.'s butt was great, and he had nice, big, strong legs. So I look for glutes and, and how well a player can – control their their legs by using their glutes um and the the difference i think between high school and college kids is because you know the, the coaching at the high school level has been so bad for so long because everyone's just like nope we're doing bigger faster stronger we're running bulgarian style programs german volume training programs but when you get to the college level, there's some fantastic strength coaches that I've had the the pleasure of working with over the course of the summers, and they spend more time away from that stuff. Um, but they have it, you know. You'll hear a lot of coaches say, you know, we look for the athlete that has it, right? So you you'll see it really soon. You know, we have a I have a guy right now, a kid. He's he's a sophomore. He's only 15. He he turns 16 here in like a month or so. But he was, uh, you know, first-team all-state in football. He led the county in tackles, almost had 150 tackles as a sophomore, starting catcher, um, was probably going to be the number two pitcher. And, and he has that it factor, and he's got that round butt. You know what I mean? And he also – he's the first kid in this – that I've had since I've been at Baker that's going to pull 400. Um, you know, you use that term, you know, pulling 400. I've heard Cressy say that about his program. Is like you've never he he doesn't train a guy that throws under 90 or over 90 that doesn't deadlift at least 405. I used to have 405 as like the end all be all number until I got kids there really easy, and I was like, okay, great. Well, they're getting to 405 really easy. So then I, I changed it. Now I look for 1.75 times body weight. Because if I have a 130 pound, you know, six foot two kid who's soaking wet, the odds of him pulling 400 in high school are probably pretty slim. Versus if I have, you know, a catcher, which I uh, one of the catchers that I had, he's you know he was 220, and you know he pulled five twenty five before he graduated. So. It's more in, in, in you know in learn in tune with the body weight that that I kind of go for. So my level four guys, if they're if they're pulling 1.75 times body weight by the time they graduate, then I know that they've gotten strong. They're going to run fast and they're going to throw hard.
0: Good deal. Um, that I like that that coefficient. That's a good one to use. I'm gonna have to take that from you. Um, what um, when you're when you've got the the obviously you're at the high school strength coach, like you said. When you're working with your other sport athletes, you know you say you've got that the the system you use to have them level up and everything, and we do something very similar where they've got to be able to goblet squat x amount of weight so many times before we let them use a barbell, um, mm-hmm. and. It, that, that it's kind of like a rite of passage and I, I really like that I think it's good that you have to earn something uh, that's generally life in general but also sports as well you don't make the varsity team just by walking in you know you got to try out like everybody and you got to earn your stripes you got to earn your playing time um, it, it all kind of comes full circle when you're using your other sports is that the s- exact same system do you use or is it slightly modified for different sports because obviously you know you're your cross country kid necessarily isn't going to be the strength caliber of your baseball player or your football player. Um, right. you, you talk about that, that system a little bit in general, how you use it at the, the high school level with the teams. Cause obviously at the, the private or semi-private level, you obviously got a lot more say in what you want to do, where at the high school level, there are some, some factors you have to work with time, you know, yeah. equipment limitations, things like that. Go ahead and talk about how you uh, do that with your teams
1: well the good thing is is we just got a brand new gym from elite FTS so we we now have probably one of the most badass gyms you know in the state I know we have the best gym in the county where we're at right now I mean we have equipment that no other school has and I've, I've pretty much seen all of them um, really the I mean the program is built to have flexibility so there's no set in stone thing. So I, I always look before I program or I design a program, I'm like, okay, what's the gender? Because I need to treat boys different than I need to treat girls. And then I'll look at the sports and be like, okay, so we got volleyball is in season and they're coming in and training. They're going to need different stuff than the soccer girls or who are going to come in and training. So that's why having these templates is, is so awesome and it's been a time saver programming wise, because I can just be like, all right, what are the needs of a volleyball player versus the needs of a soccer player? And then I can change the accessories around a little bit. Um, you know, Baker is when, when Baker almost should be a Texas school because when football comes around, like the, the community shuts down for the football program and, and that's the end all be all. And so I don't get a lot of, um, kids outside of football in the fall sports that come in and train uh, unless they are the football team the girls i get a ton of girls from all the different sports um but with the just i i I don't really change a whole lot with the programs other than just the accessories like we keep the percentages the same everybody has to hit the same strength standards to be able to go from level one to two to three to four it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter how young you are the cool thing that I like about having those set standards and the ability to level up is if you're training with a bunch of kids and you don't make the strength standards, well, all your other kids are going to be doing something more fun. That's how I, I sell it to the kids It's like, yeah, you're a level one athlete. You haven't earned the right to be able to do a, a front squat. You haven't earned the right to be able to back squat. Then you test and they're like, well, I want to do what he's doing. It's just like, no, you didn't meet the strength standard. You want to get what they're doing? You need to get your ass in here and you need to quit. Pardon my French. You need to quit fucking around when you're in here. And this is not social hour. You need to come in. We got 45 minutes to get work done. And if you're going to glad handle and you're going to shoot the shit with all your friends and you're going to laugh and you're going to joke around, you're going to be stuck at level one. And I don't test all that often. You know, I test two at the most three times a year. So if you miss the strength standards... You have a really long wait before you get to try and test again to to mark up. And you're not going to have that much fun when all your friends are doing level three stuff and you're a level two guy. You know what I mean? So that's the motivation in and of itself is as I kind of put it on the kids. It's like, look, you want to train with your friends. Awesome. But they're back squatting and you're still on a goblet squat. So you need to pick it up a little bit and and try to catch up to them or else you're just going to be left behind. And they're going to be getting bigger and stronger, and they're going to get more playing time. But you are going to be the social little butterfly clown, right. and um, you know. And and I talked to the high school kids just like I would a professional athlete, and I, and I told them that on day one, it's like I don't care that you are in high school. I am going to be, I am going to ride you like my college guys. I am going to ride you like the pro guys. Like I don't care that you are thirteen and you've never touched a weight. I am going to jump down your throat if I have to, but I am also going to pick you up. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to educate you on why I'm doing this because the coddling is going to stop. Like You're at the big time now. This is high school. This is big for our community. You need to level the fuck up if you want to see the playing field, and it starts right now. And when I said that that first day, like the look of the (laughs) – I wish I could have had a picture, of, but the look on those kids' faces was just like, oh, wow, we're we're in for it. You know what I mean? This is something that we never had before. And I took them for a ride. And, you know, that first day I had 33 kids. And then before the school got shut down for COVID, you know, we're, we're pushing 75, 80 kids a day. So, you know, I, I had a massive buy-in because I was upfront, blunt, and I'm, you know, I, I jumped down them. I, I'm hard on them, but I love them at the same time. And, and they crave that. You know, the thing that I found about high school kids is they they want to learn they want to know why they're doing something, but they want a tangible goal of something to shoot for, which was the other reason why I created the four steps, um, because instead of just like, no, here's your personal, here's your PR, which we don't we don't say anymore, personal records. We, we, we try and set personal achievements when we come in. So there's no more PRs, it's all PAs, personal achievement numbers. Um, you know, and, and it, it's it been f- fantastic. Like it's spread like wildflower and, and, you know, I make it fun. I make it hard. The kids think it's great because death metal is, you know, playing so loud that you have to yell to your training partner. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, you just treat them like adults and they'll, they'll feed into it real fast.
0: Yeah. That, that's a good thing for them to also see that, uh, you know, that they, that you have a passion in terms of caring about them. That's, um, like you said, it's kind of a tough love situation where it's like, you know, if, if we're hard on you, that's, you should probably like that because that kind of shows that we care. Cause if we're not hard on you and we don't, like you said, we, we don't want to coddle you because especially for those kids that want to be the division one athlete, if you think it's all going to be handed to you on a silver plate, you're in for a really, really rude awakening at the college yep. level, because not only in most cases than not, are is there, is everyone good, you know, not only genetically, but from a work ethic standpoint, but also there are coaches that make their living, that make tons of money and their job is on the line on your performance. And if you're going to screw around and risk their opportunity of having not only their own achievement, but their job security and their ability to help their other players that are bought in, you're the weak link. And, and you will sit your butt on that bench or you will be, penalized for it and you're going to quickly understand and it's a good wake-up call as a teenager and while not every teenager and high school kid hopes to play in the college level um you do understand that there are those teammates that do take this seriously winning to them does matter I don't I personally don't know anybody that competes that competes just to say "Ah, I just did it because I like competing I can I competing because I I hate losing really really bad I mean I love winning but I hate losing I would much rather you know win to not lose than to win to win and um that that seeing that passion from you is is good and more at the high school level at least in our area strength and conditioning unfortunately is not taken very seriously and that anybody that talks to me in my gym knows that I get fired up a kid brings me something they're doing and it makes me want to throw it to an half pound plate across the room um because you know we we dedicate our time and to our craft and then they take some joe schmo off the street that played d3 football and he's now running the weight room and it's like you got somebody that has no idea what should be going on we're like i would you know i would die to be able to give you that passion for those kids. And it, it really stinks to come in and see some, some programs that we, we personally get handed, unfortunately. Yeah. So, like, oh my gosh. Like this is go pick up a, a, even an ACSM personal training book and it's <laughs> breaking the regular standards of those. And that's, you can go to a library and probably find that book. If you're a coach and you want to do due diligence to do some simple homework. And nowadays, and in, in 2020, you can just get on your phone and type in Google, you know, basic training program for baseball. And nine times out of 10, like you said, somebody like Eric Cressy or yourself or somebody that's really good because of the way Google works, it's going to pop up and you can get something decent, not, you know, power cleans for three sets of 10. Like, come on, man. Um, and so it's good that those, those kids see that from you. Um, and then obviously, you know, the results on the field are being proven. And I try to tell kids that, you know, if you want the, the quote unquote free cheat code for sports, get in the weight room and start strength training, because you will immediately probably be in my area. You'll at least be in the top 15% of kids with just by default building a little bit of strength, moving better, being more injury resilient, so you're less likely to be on the sideline during any kind of potential injury issue even happening in the first place. And that might set you up for success to be a four-year varsity guy, maybe make an all-conference, maybe looking at that D2, D3, Division one scholarship merely because you're willing to put that time in the yep. weight room. And yep. that, that tough love part is, is part of that. Yep. So, um, the switch gear just a little bit. I know you also work with you, know, you do personal training and stuff and help people just essentially better their lives, move better, feel better, conquer life. I, I'm personally somebody that the weight room is kind of my haven for my mental sanity, so to speak. Um, talk about and I obviously personal train, you know, just like you, 60 70 year old people, and I think sometimes. Working with athletes, people like, oh, well, he just specializes with athletes. He doesn't know how to work with a real person. Kind of explain how working with athletes and personal training clients, not only go hand in hand, but how you bridge that connection between your personal training clients as well to try to explain how you're going to help them achieve their goals. Well,
1: when it comes to personal training clients, I always tell them that I'm going to train them like an athlete, and they get this look on their face that's like, dude, I don't play sports. Why are you going to train me like an athlete? And I always tell people that because we need to get you to move. Like the definition of athletic is to be able to move your body through space. So many general population people these days, they, they can't move. They can't tie their shoes the right way without throwing their back out. Posture sucks. You know, people just go for a walk and they take 10 steps and they're, they have to stop and take a break. So, I, I plant the seed. It's like the reason why we're gonna use that athlete mentality is because I want you to be able to move efficiently so you can become pain free. Because that's the biggest thing that I'm seeing with a lot of general population clients is when they fill out the intake form, one of the top three reasons they wanna work with me is because they wanna become pain free. Like people nowadays they're not so concerned with with strength. They want to be able to pick up their kid and not blow out their back they want to be able to go snowboarding and skiing and go from 9 a.m when the lifts go to 3 p.m when the lifts stop And they want to do that without being crushed the next day because they're in so much pain so it's a mentality that if we can get them to understand like you train like an athlete you will feel better but it starts between the starts between the ears with a lot of these people um, the good thing that I like about personal training nowadays is because I only do online stuff. I mean, I do some one-on-one in-person stuff, but it's so customized. Like, we go through, a, like, a 20-point assessment checklist, and we really dive deep. I ask a ton of questions. Why? How? What? How is that working for you? What can we do? Like, so much happens in the pre-training process phase where we're getting to know each other and just asking questions that there's no I mean I have a a template that I base off of but it's so customized based off each individual person you know if a guy has four kids and he can't keep up with four kids I know we're gonna have to do a little more GPP than strength work because trying to keep up with the five-year-old that I have right now I mean, his name's Rev for a reason because his engine is just always revved at 100 miles an hour. You got to be going, going, going. So imagine four. You know what I mean? Um, but it's it's been a big transition, you know. And, and Jay Ferrugia has has really opened my eyes to this about training to become pain free. It's not all about massive amounts of intensity and volume that you know makes John Meadows proud. It's like, no, what's the what's the minimal effective dose to get you? Maximum results and get you pain free as fast as possible because that's the end goal, right? We don't want to be training these people for ten years. I mean, our pocketbooks do, but I don't want to have a client for ten years. I want to educate them enough to the fact where they fire me. Like I love it. I've worked with you for three years. I'm ready to go on my own, and that to me is the happiest day in in a in my relationship with a client when they tell me that they're they've reached their goals we've exceeded expectations. I've educated them on how to maintain this, if not improve this and then go little, little deer, go off and go into the forest, you know, cause I'll always be here if, and when you want to come back.
0: Right. Yeah. So. And with, with our personal training clients, and that's, that's what we try to, with our semi-private model, um, everybody gets their own individualized program and we, do our best. Like I said, they are intertwined with our sports performance kids. So they, they don't have their own coach and their own hour. You got, in some cases we have teachers or doctors or whatever training right next to the kid. That's trying to get his division one football scholarship or, or whatever. And I I really, I really like that because it lets the parent see that um, you know, the kid can work in with adults. You know, you got to be able to have that relationship. You might have to share a piece of equipment. It creates conversation, Um, but also that the the personal training client says hey I'm doing a kind of a similar movement as them you know I'm I'm doing a a goblet box squat and he's over here doing like a safety bar box squat. similar movement pattern but obviously this is tailored more towards him and this is tailored towards more towards what I need and you know I'm the as a personal training client you know I'm doing ropes and sled drags and the like you said this is GPP based stuff that is what the athlete what you generally consume with athletes but like man like that was hard, but it felt good. It didn't, it didn't kill me. And it was tailored towards what I want. I I would say that in nine times out of 10, most personal training clients want to feel like they got their butt kicked. That's how they're going to judge quote unquote, an effective workout. And so we, we try to, bridge the gap and give them a little bit of what they want. Let's have you feel in the, the end of session, the session sweaty and you feel good and you, you got some good GPP work, but we also gave you some general strength and movement patterns and some single leg work. And we, we taught you how to brace against load and how to pick things up properly. And like those movement patterns help you move better and feel better. And so when you say, Hey man, my pants fit a little bit better. And I can tie, like you said, I can tie my shoe now without being in pain. Like, do you, do you really think that these, um, these, the quote unquote unathletic programs and provide this probably not, you know, sitting on that machine and Planet fitness isn't going to give you what you just got. Yep. Um, and then with that, like I said, with that semi-private model, um, we, we teach them that ownership of this is your training program. We're going to teach you how to do it so that we don't have to be right next to you all the time. We can go help John um, with his floor press. Let me come back and we can watch you do your lunges and make sure that you're staying well. But then also that if they do want to stay, they want to stay because they like the fact that we can make the workouts fun, exciting. Um, There, there's always something new and challenging available. There's things they didn't think about. It's a, I would say most of our personal training clients that have been around for a while, it's more of like, Hey, this is super convenient that I pay a premium price. I get good quality workouts. I get the good interaction. I get to see kids. I get to make friends and have a social life inside of a place that I initially thought was intimidating, especially as a gym like us, you know, like we, we tend to be thought of as like intense based, but it's like, you know, we're good people. (laughs) We might have a little rough on the outside or some tattoos and, you know, might be filling out our shirts a little bit more, but we're people just like everybody else. And we're glad you're able to join the community of athleticism through training and that training doesn't have to necessarily mean that you are, you know, doing all these jumps and throws, like talking about the, the movement patterns. That that's a very good aspect. I think many people don't consider in the the personal training realm, so to speak. So that that's really interesting. Um, Talk about to go back to your um, your athletic side of things. When you're working with your kids, one of the big questions that always comes in for us is nutrition Parents say, you know, what should Johnny be eating or doing or, you know, what supplements should he take? And, and, and I usually stir them stir away from supplements immediately. Don't do that. The only time we do that, go get a blood test and see if you're deficient in anything. Um, if what, How are you talking to your parents and your kids about nutrition and what is important to optimize their performance on the field and court?
1: Uh, I'm so glad you asked that question because I'm hammering my kids right now on nutrition with the whole lockdown going on um when I first started at the high school I made everybody keep a food journal they had to turn it in after week one and I was absolutely mortified at what I saw and um I kept it in to myself a little bit because I wanted to use it as fuel to the fire and when when their performance in the gym with the program that I had them on wasn't meeting expectations then I brought out their food journals again. And I, I, my biggest thing is educating them to eat to perform. And when I talked to parents, I was like, look, do your kids like seafood? And they're like, oh, maybe. And I'm like, no, you're missing it. Do your kids like to eat? And they're like, well, yeah. And I was like, then they need to become seafood fans. Like they need to see food and they need to eat it and they need to eat lots of it. Because from what I've seen with high school kids, chronic under eating is becoming a massive, massive problem. Um, I'm not sure whether it's coming from mainstream media or these bullshit Instagram influencers that are pushing teas and belly crap all the time or what, but it's been a trend that I've been seeing declining in the amount of food that high school kids are not eating these days. Um, so I push nutrition a lot. I try to get them to eat as much as possible at all times. If I have a skinny kid who's going to be a hard gainer, I'm, I. I just tell them like, eat until you're almost about to throw up, wait five minutes, and then eat until you can feel the bile coming up into the back of your throat, wait two hours and do it again. And don't stop until you go to bed. If I have a kid that I'm trying to lose weight, then I'll be like, all right, we need to watch your carbs and your fats. Those are the two big things that I get them to worry about because they love the fast food they love the hyper palatability of the food they love throwing ranch and ketchup and sauces and all sorts of shit on their food and they don't realize that they're getting all these extra calories the big one really though is, that i found um, is kids drink gatorade because they think it's good for the electrolytes they don't realize how many grams of carbs are in a bottle of gatorade and so you know you have these big 300 pound guys are like i can't i can't lose any weight i'm like well how many ounces of Gatorade are you drinking a day? Like, I don't know, like 120 to 160. I was like, do you know how many fucking carbs you're getting with that? Stop with the Gatorade and watch what happens. Put the sodas down, watch what happens. And that's where change really starts to go through. Um, but I, when it comes to supplements, they have to show me, and I talked to the parents, this, they have to fit three qualifications to be able to get a supplement recommendation from me. They have to consistently average eight to 10 hours of sleep a night, they have to consistently hit certain hydration levels and they have to show me a food log that is consistent eating over at least a four to six week period of time. So I know that they are eaters because supplements don't do anything as you know, without a good nutrition plan. That's hence the term supplement. They need to supplement supplement. What you're giving yourself. If you have holes in your nutrition, you could spend a thousand dollars on crap all you want, and you're still not going to get any gains because you're losing out on the aspect that you're eating like a moron. Um, and then when I do recommend supplements, it's vitamin D because up here it gets dark so quick in the sun or in the winter. Magnesium and uh, creatine. That's it. I don't. I don't really let anybody else on anything else, especially when they're under 18 and not as developed. They don't need any of that other fancy crap. I don't even recommend protein powders a lot of time. I'm like, if you can't eat your body weight in protein, don't even talk to me about a protein shake. Yep. Learn to eat real nutritious foods. And we're in a farming community. There is no reason up here why people cannot get good local farm-raised ground beef when they're everywhere. There's dairy farms everywhere. There's chickens everywhere. You know, in the rivers, you can fish, you can crab, you can get all sorts of fun things all right at our fingertips uh so I, I don't really push a lot of supplements but if they do it's just vitamin d magnesium and creatine that's it and they got to get those three standards
0: yeah yeah that i, I don't know why it, obviously marketing's part of it why i think that that's a an easy go-to so to speak to be able to do that i know like you talk the hard gainers we had a football wide receiver that was having a hard time gaining weight we, we helped him gain in the last year probably a good 10 or so pounds um ideally we'd like to see him get another 10 before his senior years over next year just to be able to be at the quote-unquote division one size you know he would be a little undersized I'm like you know at the same time like you got a whole other year of maturity left so you're undoubtedly going to get stronger and put some meat on but we the food problem becomes something and that was what I told him I said you almost need to do what your friends are probably doing that they shouldn't be doing and that's Eating as much as you can, you, you gotta have to eat some of the bad food a little bit, um, and and do that, and that's okay. But the chronic eating, you're absolutely right. That's one of the biggest problems that we see, especially especially in the female population and athletes. That's and like you said, the 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 Instagram. I I don't want to blame Instagram, but I, it's so much easier for the teenage kid to see that um, be readily available because it's always on their cell phone. They're flipping through classes or whatever. And that's what they happen to see. And I think that that's what it takes. At least I know when I went to high school, I didn't, that obviously didn't even exist. So that wasn't as much prevalent. And so we try to talk to them about the value of eating enough protein, um, you know, making sure, like you say, getting enough sleep that as an athlete, if you if you are active like you say you are and you're a very active athlete as active as you are you're not gonna have to worry about getting fat in most cases than not like you'll be okay um think about it and you have to monitor the scale a little bit to make sure it doesn't get out of hand but i think you'll find that as you eat more food your energy level feels better your energy level feels better you train harder you practice harder you you even maybe even sleep better. Um, so take that into account and then we we try to we can't tell them exactly hey you need to eat x y this and that and i tell them if you, if you think your kid has an actual eating disorder then you need to let us know so we can refer out and get you to a nutritionist or whatever to have that kind of conversation because that is above our level but yeah. we can have that conversation like you said with the food logs tell me what you ate today Oh, i just had an apple in before i came into training and that was it well what'd you have before the apple uh, i had some breadsticks at lunch what <laughs> like, yeah. you you don't crave any anything else other than this stuff like and you wonder why your lifts aren't getting better or like you said like why you're not gonna make that varsity team you got some free easy ways to level up your performance if you're just willing to just break it down that way and look yep. at it and and i will also say that unfortunately i feel like i'm not sure how much nutrition is pushed in the high school level anymore I know when I took it, it was um, relatively simple, but I gravitated toward a specific teacher in my school that taught a, essentially a fit for life class is what it was called. And we talked a lot about nutrition and how to count calories and what a carb was and a fat and a protein and, and the vital importances of each one of those macronutrients and the important vitamins and minerals, like you talked about D3 and, and K and, and magnesium and how those are important. And I, I feel that, unfortunately, some of the academic stuff that's getting pulled away from curriculums for the sheer fact that they're either trying to save budget wise or they're trying to push the testing scores more so than the, the life application classes, which is unfortunate. So um, I know my wife is looking at getting her precision nutrition certification so that she can kind of sit down a little bit more with the parents and kind of be that initial uh, liaison, I guess, to figure out how they're going to do that and then eat their, make the referral out if we need to. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and the, I guess the next thing talking about, you kind of talked about sleep. Um, too many kids are looking at staying up late and playing video games and, you know, waiting to the last minute to do homework. Um, what, from a coaching perspective at the high school, Part of our job is obviously to help mentor kids a little bit in terms of life lessons. What do you talk to the kids about um, in terms of academics? You know, the, the academic side is very important. We want all all these kids to get their high school diploma so that if they choose to go to college or, you know, uh, trade schools and things like that, you want to have those diplomas in hand. Um, How do you go about talking to your athletes about that? Especially because I'm sure, you know, we have, some kids that would much rather be out there on the football field busting their butt and they're okay with that D in math. That's like, no, man, we got to get that fixed. How do you have those conversations with your kids?
1: Well, the good thing uh, about the high school where I'm at is it's a small school. So most of the kids play multiple sports. So they'll go from football to basketball to baseball without any break. And our grade requirements are pretty strict. And if you don't have the grades and you become ineligible, you don't get to play. And, and our athletic director has a hard, hard stance on that. There's He doesn't care if you're an All-American. If you're not making the grades, you're not playing, and you're going to have to make a focus on that. And so I do the same thing. I talk to the kids all the time. It's like, if you want to do this after-school program or before-school lifting program with me, you're going to have to maintain those same grades. And I'll stay after and talk to kids and help them with their homework. I'll do whatever it can. Um, because they have to understand that it's it's a point in time in life where you have to meet knowledge requirements through grades, whether it's fair or not. That's the card that you're dealt, and you got to deal with it. And I tie it back into sleep and nutrition because what I found is the kids that have usually lower grades have poor or poor eating habits and sleeping patterns. So um, you know we fix those two things. I mean, I, I can't scientifically prove that the grades are automatically going to go up. But if a kid goes from six hours of sleep a night to eight hours of sleep a night and they get one more meal in in a day, their grades just naturally go up. Um, one of the things that I do, though, is if a student is 16 years or older and they got their license, I, I make it a requirement that they have to come to the 6 a.m. training session. Um, because we have so many junior high kids that come after for one, but I want to teach them time management skills. So they have to get up early. They have to go to school. And then there's no excuse after practice. There's no excuse to get your homework, not get your homework done and go to bed at a good time. And if you stay up till midnight and you come into the gym and you're dragging ass the next day, I'm going to know about it. And I'm going to start pounding on you to get some better sleep. So I spent a long time talking about time management with these kids. Um, because of the lack of time management comes with you know way too many energy drinks, poor nutrition, poor sleeping patterns, and it all turns to poor performance, poor grades. So we can start cleaning those things up. That's why I think sleep and food is so critical to educate parents on, uh, helping them understand that they need to limit screen time for their kids. They need to take phones away, they need to not let their kids have phones in their room. Like I had one parent who, who was bought in and his son is training with me. And uh, it was a funny story because I I wrote an article or I made a post about screen time at night and how it affects the circadian rhythm and the blue lights keeps kids up at night. So he told his son, you know, you're not allowed to have your phone out out after 8 o'clock. So he went in to to check on him because it was oddly quiet, he said, in his room at like 9 o'clock at night. And he was like this on his phone with the lights out. So the dad snapped his phone in half, snapped the kid's phone in half. (laughs) And he didn't give him a phone back for a month until he got him a new phone but the crazy thing happened he started putting on weight his grades got better his performance in football got better everything started to improve his attitude towards his parents started to improve because he was actually interacting with them and being a human being and the dad told me off onto the side one day he's like that was the most powerful thing that it's ever happened was Seeing what you said about screen time, snapping the phone, and almost like getting his son back in 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 a, in a sense, because he was totally detached. Now he's like, I can wake up at five thirty in the morning. You know, I don't have to really set an alarm. I, on the weekends, I sleep in. I can catch up then. But I'm up to train on the days that I don't show up at six a.m. I'm still up. I can get more homework done. I can prep and study a little bit before. Boom, his grades go up, performance set up. He started off with freshman basketball and ended up suiting up and playing varsity before the basketball season was done. And he developed those habits of sleep and eat when he lost his phone. So it's just a it, – at least in the high school room, if we're not educating the parents, then we're doing the kids a disservice.
0: Right. Yeah, they – that's definitely one of our hardest things at the semi-private level is, um, you know, talking with the parents, <clears throat> trying to find those, those gaps and those holes. And that's, that's also kind of where we have to do our due diligence as coaches is to get to know the kids as a person
1: mm-hmm. as
0: well, because you can, we we kind of talk me and my wife and then also our intern or our now employee, Andrew, but we also kind of talk to it with our interns when we have them as well as the, you know, we not only want you to get to know these these kids as you know your your athletes and your clients you work with but try to get them to know a little bit as as a person what do they like to do outside of their sport and being in the gym with us what what gives them some passion and meaning besides their sport because there is something you know most kids are very sport heavy when what we do and that's okay but you know like we got one kid that's really big into engineering and he uh, shot me a text message the other day and said hey coach can can I put you down for a reference for uh, this engineering thing that I got? I really want to be able to talk about, you know, how um, being in the gym has helped build my my confidence as, as well. And that, um, you know, I know you have your degree from Purdue, which is an engineering school. And I think that's really cool. And that's what I want to do. I, I want to go to school for engineering. So I'm kind of already making my choices from an academic standpoint, what I want to do. And he, and he values that. And I, that's something that I almost always talk to him about is asking him what kind of, projects he's doing in his engineering class at, at, at the high school and how his competitions go when he does that because he does have a passion for that. And that has helped in terms of talking with the parents, help get an understanding of what he's doing as well at home. And we we kind of know him better. And that gets buy-in and so then whenever we talk about nutrition and sleep and making you know better overall health decisions. Um, they kind of listen a little bit more because, they, like you said, we've talked about. You, they genuinely know you care, and yep. at, at that age, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, they they need that a lot. And they're, they're trying to self-identify within their friends, but they also know. I can maybe I have a little bit of a heads up on this because I'm still relatively young. You know, I, I just I'll be thirty two in, in a couple months, so I'm still relatively young. Where I'm I'm old enough to be a mentor figure, but I'm young enough to relate. I can listen to your music and understand why you like it. And you know yeah. I, I know how to use the, the applications and, and the lingo a little bit to be able to get on your level. And I'm, I'm that stepping stone for them to be able to talk to their parents um, comfortably because sometimes when you're 15, it's hard to talk to your parents when they're in their late, mid-40s or 50s. They feel like there's that gap, mom. You're not going to understand what it's like that I don't have my phone if I can't talk to my girlfriend well, I, I do. I had that cell phone, and I had those cell phone privileges taken away when I was a kid, or, you know, I would have to – eventually that bill became my responsibility, so I had to go get a job, um, yeah. and they they like that. So I like that that's something that you obviously are taking an initiative in. I think many po- coaches working with high school kids need to really understand that aspect of, of working with athletes as well. Um, yeah. One of the last things that I uh, kind of want to talk to you about I know uh, we we met through powerlifting. How I'm not sure how much you issue you get with this. I know you obviously are very well respecting your community. How do you fight off the stigma that um, you're a meathead or that you you know you like the powerlifting stuff and that um, I think sometimes as strength coaches, when those are our passions, we kind of get lumped into these bad. I don't want to say this. They get we get lumped in this bad stash of being a meathead and we only know how to squat, bench and deadlift or, you know, do these meathead based things when in reality, that's just our passion of what we like to do from a, from a competitive outlet or we did at one point and that that doesn't dictate how we're going to train our athletes.
1: Oh, I embrace it. I love it when a parent comes to me and like, you're a meathead and I'm like, you're damn straight I'm a meathead. <laughs> What's wrong with being a meathead? I've done things that you have never done in your entire life, nor will your kid ever do. They'll be like, oh, yeah, what's that? It's like I've stepped foot on the Arnold, on the biggest powerlifting stage in the world. I've squatted 800-plus pounds in front of 2,000 people. You know, like, have you done that? No, you have never left the county. So powerlifting, and I was bullied growing up, right? You know, I was the fat kid that I was always made fun of, and when we played games and shirts and skins, they always made the fat kids be skins so they could laugh at us when our fat jiggled all over the place. So – I gravitated towards violent sports, and when I found powerlifting, I was like, well, you know, if I fight somebody, I'm probably going to go to jail, and it's going to hurt because I'm probably going to break my hand or I'm going to hurt somebody else. You know, I I wasn't tall enough to play D1, um, so I couldn't play football anymore. Hockey was fun, but, you know, beer league is only is fun for so long. And then you think these, these guys think they're in the NHL and they want to try and fight everybody and they, they can't fight with the shit anyways. So powerlifting for me became an outlet of aggression. And, and that's one thing that I always respected about Dave Tate when he talks about how he trains the way that he does so he doesn't kill somebody. And I'm I'm, I'm pretty much the same way. And I was like that when I was powerlifting. So I tell parents all the time, it's like, look, your kid is not me. They don't have my drive. They don't have my will to be the strongest person I've ever possibly been. They don't have my work ethic. They don't have my nutrition. They don't have my genetics. But that doesn't mean that I can't train them with that same intensity so they become the best version of themselves. And if that requires them squatting, benching, and deadlifting, then fucking A, we're going to squat, bench, and we're going to deadlift. Because I know from a a training standpoint, the, the benefits that that can have Going on the field of play, but also when they're done playing, if they have a passion that we can build a passion for training, that will carry over to life. Now, all of a sudden, they will live a life of of healthy habits, of consistent training, of consistent nutrition, of respect. You know, gym is about respecting the people there. You know, it's about putting your stuff away, it's about cleaning, it's about spotting. There's so much more to powerlifting than just the squat bench and dead that I can, you know, your blood pressure can go through the roof arguing with people that it's not about that. It, it's about so much more and you can learn. And I love that when Dave says it, you can, you can learn more about life underneath the bar than you can outside of the gym. And I, when, when parents are, you know, like, I don't want to be a meathead you know, we don't want our kid to be a me. It's like, I don't worry about it. They're not going to be a meathead. And if they are love them for it because that means they're passionate about something and that means they're willing to push their body to the physical breaking point just because they know it's going to make them stronger mentally in the back in, in the long run. And that's your, you're going to create amazing human beings that way.
0: That's, that's really, really good. I'll, I'll have to save that to be able to talk about that. Cause I know whenever, I don't want to say that I have that reputation I definitely do in my area. I think people know. Hey, Brainerd's a really good powerlifter, um, and he's really strong. And that's that's why he tries to push people on his strength, strength, strength. And I just tell people that powerlifting for me gave me, like you said, an, an outlet. But it also, I'm mean, like I talked about earlier. I'm incredibly competitive. My my wife does not like playing games with me because if I lose, I I genuinely get pissed. And oh yeah, and it, to me, I tell her I said it's not that I don't want to play games with you that as soon as I lose, it's not that I think that you're better than me, but I'm so competitive that when I, when I, when I lose, it becomes personal. And, oh, yeah. and, and then yeah. to me, it's not fun. And the whole point of playing games with you is to be fun. So let's play something that's maybe not as competitive or, or do, do something like that to spend time together. Because when I want to compete and I have that urge to do that, I, I'm going to go get on the platform and do it and, and try to, you know, take names. And that's what I want. Um, oh, yeah. Parents to see that you know that's how I feel about your kids too is that like I'm really competitive. If 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 I train a kid and he goes and plays trains against another um, kid um, somewhere else, <laughs> man, my cat playing somewhere else. That you know I want our kids to win, and if we don't win, yeah. then that's gonna that's gonna tick me off. Um, you know I'm and we can't win. We can't expect our kids to win every game, especially whenever I'm semi-private. I'm working with one kid here and one kid there, and I don't have control of the whole team aspect you know, I still want the kids to win that the under the bar experience has given me that and that that outlet that that competitive drive, so to speak. And also, like you said, the the lessons that you learn, and I initially got some flack from telling um, some of our kids this, but they were, I was like, you know, we would make them do up downs for everything they leave out. And we still do that. If I find something, I don't have cameras, but I'm really good at knowing who uses what. um, And if I find it, I put a sticky note in your program. You owe me X amount of up-downs before you start the training session. And they're like, well, why? And I'm like, you left stuff out. I'm like, "Well, oh, yeah. th- why? And I'm like, it's responsibility. You know, yeah. you, you got to turn your homework in on time. You, you got to show up to class on time. You got to go to show up and practice on time. You're expected to do things for your parents. You got to do your chores and whatever. And there's repercussions when you don't do that. And it's the same thing in here. You know, your, your parents are doing you a big favor by investing in you right now to try to give you the best chance for success. And all I'm asking you to do is to put away your bands. I'm not asking you to do anything crazy, but to take ownership in your training, because if, if you want to do something in life, you're going to have to have that ownership and the barbell helped get, like you said, help give me that. You got to help your training partners um, put their weights away and give coaching cues and, and help the, the, there's guys that show up and have a rough day at work. or they still come in and train after a bad relationship breakup? And, that's part of your job as a training partner to do that, and that's what powerlifting has taught us as a whole, um, yeah. as coaches. And then I think also as, as well as I'm sure you see when your kids are working together and they're working in the same racks or they're working together and they're loading, the spotting, like that camaraderie goes on the field as well. Like, hey, you know my my teammate had my spot today on that squat. I really appreciate that. Like he he was there for me, and that's good. So maybe I should try to make sure I get his back on something, whether it's give him a ride to practice the next day or, you know, help people out that way. Um, and that camaraderie gets that the team aspect. And that's what I really like about the high school stuff is that that yep. stuff is so impressionable after sports. <laughs> it's yeah. more than just lifting weights. And anyone that says it's just lifting weights really needs to be humbled by that. that that aspect so
1: yeah um, it's it's accountability really what it comes down to you know are they when they're training with their training partners are they spotting the right way because if they make a mistake that person could get seriously injured and maybe never play a sport again or die if they make a mistake you know that's over exaggerating a little bit but look at what happened at USC when that that running back lost a multi-million dollar career because his spotter wasn't paying attention he dropped the bar on his throat you know, I tell kids that story all the time. Don't that will not ever happen here. And, and you know, you know, we don't do up downs. I make them do the CrossFit cal- CrossFit workout calssu. It's like you leave one little chip out. If I don't care what it is, the entire group that was in there that day does calssu and I'm just, that's it. And they, they, I made them do it twice in the year. And now all of a sudden my gym is spotless by the time we get done with it. Everything's wiped down and put away. And I'm OCD about stuff. I want stuff facing the right way and looking a certain way. And, but it's accountability. You know, you hold their feet to the fire. It's going to translate when they get out, they're going to be more responsible and they're going to function better.
0: Yeah. And I even went to the extent at some point to, if, if I know they're on Instagram and I've got a, a, an, because some kids are a little bit more sensitive than others. So I'll I'll talk, I'll give them some personal warnings first, but if they've been been like a repeat offender, then I start putting them on the Instagram stories. And so that way everybody in the gym, whether they were in that day or not knows, Oh shoot, you know, so-and-so messed up. Brandon got him. He's not going to like it the next time he goes to the gym and it's kind of getting called out. And we've got, you know, a lot of kids that follow our Instagram that necessarily aren't part of our gym. And so part of a business thing is obviously to convert those leads to get them in here. And yeah. I, I like this, like, he just, you know what, we will call you out and that's going to make him probably a better athlete and a better teammate. And guess what? If you play with him, you, you know that guess what? He's probably not going to be doing that anymore. He's going to, he's going to take that ownership for it. Um, yeah. and the, the last final thing here that I, that I have on my list that I want to talk to you about is just, um, he'll give, um, as anybody that wants to work with high school athletes, I I feel like that's, like I said, it's an up and coming thing, a little bit more people like, man, I want to be a high school strength coach. What do you recommend for young coaches or even maybe, um, you know, somebody that's been in the college game for a couple of years and they're thinking about um, going down to the high school level instead, they, they feel like they might have more, more umph and giving passion to the teenagers. How do you recommend they get into that? high school-based setting from a strength and conditioning coaching perspective?
1: <laughs> well, the first thing you have to understand is your income is going to take a massive hit. There, there's not a lot of money in high school, like working directly with a high school. But if you have your own facility, yes, it's obviously you're going to reap the financial benefits a little bit more there. But you, can also, you can't charge a premium. You know what I mean? You cannot charge a parent $115 an hour for personal training like you could an adult where a kid, you know, you're probably gonna charge 25 to 30 bucks an hour, maybe 35, 40, something like that. So you're, you're gonna, it's a numbers game. You gotta have to understand that to make a lot of money or do well in the high school realm, you're gonna need a lot of kids. So if you're gonna go the high school route, you need to get to know, you have to be social. You have to be able to engage with the parents, You're going to have to do a lot of community outreach. Go to all the games. Wear the swag. Wear the high school swag. Talk to all the coaches. um, and, And just understand, and this was the biggest change for me, and Joe DeFranco said this. He's just like, everybody wants to train the professional athletes. Well, the high school kids are the new professional athletes. They need more work than anybody else. We're in a massive, I mean, outside of coronavirus, the biggest Issue that we have, I think, in North America is teenage obesity, teenage injury rates, and teenage suicide. And because there's, we're, they're so digitally plugged in, they're full matrix beings, and we need to unplug them. We need to get them to engage and to become human beings by showing empathy, by showing that, they, that there is people out there that care for their well being, that they're going to provide them with the education and the steps to be successful. And, and that's been huge. And, and for me, the education, teaching the kids, here's how you get from point A to point B. You either win or you learn. And and when you embrace, embrace that concept and you're open to talking with kids and not being a hard ass all the time, but loosening the reins, having fun, joking around, you yourself have to be human and you have to be relatable to the kids. Um, And once you can do that and get your fingers into the community and get the community to jump on board, then you're going to have a problem of too many kids, you know? And that's kind of the problem that I had is, I got the parents to buy in. I got the coaching staff to buy in. I didn't worry about the kids right away because I knew the results would get the kids to buy in. I needed the parents and the administrators and the teachers to understand I'm not here to take your job. I'm here to make your life better by taking some stress off your plate because you got to go teach badminton in sixth period. Well, guess what? This is the only thing that I've taught for 10 straight years. I don't have to teach badminton. I can get your kids stronger than you can ever possibly do. In sixth period so I'm gonna help you by taking some stress off and and by doing so the parents are just like holy cow thank you so much and then the kids it's just a results based thing you give kids results and they'll buy it so if you have a program and and you can show tangible physical results you can take a, a bench player and get them to not necessarily start but get some playing time or maybe you get the tiny little freshman kid that didn't play a whole lot, but by the time he's a junior, he's dominating life. Um, you know, you take a, a a varsity kid that was honorable mention one year, and then all of a sudden they're all state the next. You know, it's it it just creates the snowball effect. But you got to show empathy and education to these kids, and, and if you can do that, they'll they'll be all on board with you from from day one.
0: Yeah, and something I will add to that is that if. It, you won't be able to necessarily test it, but if you're good with the high school, because high school kids can see through bullshit really easily. Ooh, yes. They will, you will quickly realize of whether they actually buy in or they don't buy in, um, you know, and that will, that will make or break you as a, as a coach. Um, and, and luckily we've not ever had a problem with that. Um, and like you said, you know, you talk to the parents of the community and you start to get all this, this long-term buy-in and that was definitely our initial success was that I would, um, I, I've kind of told Adrian, my wife, I said, you know what, we're, we've, we'll get the kids better. There's no question that the training is simple. People try to overcomplicate it. And I said, we'll just dumb it down to the simplest stuff. So when people say, Oh, he's got all the bells and well, bells and whistles, who cares? I don't use the bells and whistles that, that often. I yeah. use those for the rare, the rare cases. I think it was maybe Dave Tate even said this, that, not 90% of what we know about training will probably very rarely use. It's the basic 10% of training that we know about that we're going to use for the vast majority. And then the good coaches are the ones that can pick that extra 90% that they don't use all the time and say, Hey, we can take this and give it to this kid. And then get yep. that, that, like you said, that kid that's, um, all state or, you know, maybe all conference then becomes all state or you get, um, you know, that kid that's, you know, never string trained before. And then you get him all the way up to this really good level. That's where you start plucking in some of those 90% things to try to maybe help get him some of those division one looks or division two looks. Um, But I said, you know, if we can make that relationship in the community with the parents, that right there will do everything that we ever need from a business standpoint, because who's writing the check. It's not John, it's John's mom and dad. And if we get John's mom and dad to buy in and we give John the results, that'll get him to buy in. Then, then we're good because then, like you said, it's contagious wildfire. That if that if one parent finds out that some kid's doing something that their kid's not, they're initially kind of concerned. Oh man, this kid might pass my kid. And then what yeah. am I gonna what am I gonna do? I got to get in there. And we we've got a lot of good response this week. We wrote handwritten letters to every single person in our gym. Talk about talk about time consuming. But yeah, that sure. right there was exactly why every single person that we had on our books never came off our books during our closure whatsoever. Everybody said, keep billing me. We'll figure this out down the long run. You're the best investment that we want to keep. We obviously know that you guys make a living off this. We want you to be able to pay your bills and not have to suffer consequences from this. Not your fault. Yeah. And then now we get to open. And like I said, we give them those, those two weeks that we're saying, Hey, come in as much as you want. It's all on us. There's, there's, there's no charging whatsoever, you know, just, just kind of run with it. Um, and that community buy-in. So that's um, really all I kind of had. If you got anything extra you want to add, um, any – actually, I guess I'll ask you one more thing that I want you to kind of put on here. As from a baseball perspective, since we talked a lot about baseball, talk about some, um, some resources that coaches could go to from a baseball perspective where you're using uh, – where you're getting a lot of your information, your ideas – Um, you talked about how you changed from the benching to not benching so much. Um, go ahead and list off some of those resources that you're using in case if anybody would happen to want to dig a little bit deeper about what you're
1: talking about. Well, if you are involved with strength and conditioning in baseball and you don't know who Eric Cressy is, your, your student and your athlete is already behind the curve because Eric is, I mean, I've been following Eric since he came out with, um, what was it 2007 2008 i've been following eric so i've been following his work for what is that 14 15 years now and he alone has has been one of the biggest influences on how i train baseball guys i'd say 95 percent of the stuff i do with baseball guys comes from what i've learned from from eric cressy and, and cressy performance i don't think you can argue with anything that that guy's done uh, I mean, he's got two facilities now. He's the director of strength and conditioning for the Yankees and he still runs his businesses. And it's, it's like, he, he's a fantastic resource. Um, the name that not a lot of people know about that I said earlier is Peter Park. I mean, he's got two facilities out in California. Um, you know, he, he trains some of the biggest baseball players in the world and you will probably bust my balls for saying this, but, you know, he, he trains, Carlos Stanton. He trains Justin Verlander. I mean, he, he trains some of the biggest baseball players in the world and he's been a fantastic resource for me. And the thing that I like about Peter is he asks me what I'm doing with my high school kids. And then he interprets that and twists it and uses it with his pro baseball guys. And I'll do the same thing. And, um, he's been a really, really fantastic resource. Um, you know, you can also look up Tony general cause when he was part of Cressy sports performance, he did a lot of baseball stuff um, can never go wrong with Mike Robertson I mean I love Mike to death and his mobility work has been a game changer for me um, do a lot of his mobility stuff but uh, um, you know and then of course the two probably biggest strength influences on me right now Joe DeFranco and, and Smitty Diesel Jim Smith you know i, I- Join the DeFranco Insider going through the CPPS and, and you know, they've completely overhauled how I, I view things in terms of laying out a program and a, a structured approach to it. And, you know, it's just, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years. So you pick up so many different things from so many people that, um, you know, you, you really can't go wrong with any of those guys that I just mentioned and applying anything that they say into practice.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I've talked to my wife, and I'm glad you talked about Eric Cressy. That's one person that we get a ton of info, in, information from as well. And we're actually assuming the coronavirus stuff doesn't run it. Our plan was to go out there in September or October, whenever his little he has like his annual, uh, like kind of like sports performance retreat thing that they do that's like two days in um, yep. Boston. We, we were planning on going to that in 2020. So we're hoping that we can still go if they end up can having that um and then we follow tony gentlecore as well and mike robertson's an hour 45 from us i actually went yeah. and saw bill hartman yeah. a couple months ago and talked to him about some rehab-based stuff um like i said they're really really good but the funny thing i talk about eric Cressy was i remember i want to say it was an undergrad it was whenever he came out with his maximum strength book yep um went book. from his powerlifting days yep i remember reading that book and that Uh, That as a young undergrad student, that had a huge influence on um, how I was personal training people and stuff. And that was a really good resource. And that's says old school stuff when he was really young. But he's really made a name for himself now with the the Yankees and all that. So, uh, Chris, I thank you for your time, man. You had a ton of insight. Uh, I got a lot of good stuff here that I'm really – looking forward to when I go back and listen to it, writing down and taking down my own notes. I want to make sure I'm engaged with my conversations initially. (laughs) And I go back and write down my own stuff. Um, The baseball and softball stuff was really good. The, the overall coaching um, high school athlete and and communicating and the parent and the buy-in there's a, there's a lot of good stuff that even if people aren't training high school kids applies overall in terms of just whether you're, training college kids or your personal training client or how you even maybe interact with, um, some of your friends and families have putting the screen time down. Um, there's some really good information there. So I, I really genuinely appreciate your time, man. Um, I'm happy to see you guys are doing well and you're, you're kicking butt out there in Washington. Um, I love following your guys' stuff and glad we've been able to keep connected over the years from our powerlifting days at the Arnold. So, um, again, thanks a lot, dude. And take care.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. Thank you.
0: All right. Take care, man. See you. All right. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M period T-H-I-R-S-T. Or you can give me a follow at B-Smitley. That's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y. For more updates on future episodes to come. I'm your host, Brandon Smiley, and we'll catch you in the next episode.